When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello! And welcome to the final Talking Snooker episode of 2023 with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yeah, it is the final one of the year. What a year it's been. So much happened on the table, off the table. Um, I don't think we're going to talk about all of it now, but we'll do our best to get as much in as possible. Compliments of the season again to you, Phil. Um, surprised we've still got voices left after after that special with with uh, Dave Hendon last week. I mean, that was uh, that was a festive mouthful if ever I've uh, if ever I've known one. But what what a great episode and. Uh, well, I think it's always a pleasure to be with Dave, isn't he? Great, great wisdom as ever. Salient points about the game, and uh, just yeah, great fun. Potter or Notter? I mean, we've had time to reflect on it now. Um, it, it, I mean, Dave's talking about you know a, a deal on television. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about the telly, but you know, someone, someone, someone might might steal it. Oh, Luca Tour. Um, you know, but uh, you know, we'll see. But um, we had loads, loads, didn't we? The jo- jokes. I feel a bit rude, you know, rude that I was I was a bit harsh on your jokes, but great, great Pontius Pilate and uh, and uh, King Herod mix up there, which which is going to go down a storm, I'm sure, and uh, people are going to love. Hopefully, loads of elements to it as well, including uh, the bingo card, which I think I was a bit too obsessed with at times. But yeah, great episode, great fun, and um, yeah, we we'll, we might do it again next year, shall we? Eh? I think so. Yeah, um, we'll 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 aim at two hours again and miserably fail. Um, yeah, I've not told uh, my mum is a church goer. I've not told her about that. I couldn't remember who Pilot Herod was, but uh, might leave that off. Not mention that yet. Um, but you know, it was a lot of fun. Um, thanks today for doing that with us. Much appreciated. Uh, and yeah, Potter or not, where would Potter or not go? It's better than a lot of stuff on the telly, that's for sure. Um, but I'm not sure which channel will get it. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not not ruling out a future for it yet on the on the silver screen. <laughs> Could use a silver screen. I don't. I don't know why we're the ones trying to get Dave's show on telly. He feels like he should be doing the hard work. But what about sporty stuff before the live nine hundred? Could be a slot. 
Greyhound Racing, Potter or Notter with David Hendon, and then live action. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. Phil, we did, of course, go through loads of the events of the year with Dave, and it's a, a real pleasure to do so. And remember just, you know, some of the, the wild and uh, wacky and memorable things that happened d- during 2023. So we don't need to go through, I think, every event, dot the uh, I's, cross the T's again in this episode. But I think we can sort of, you know, select a few highlights and lowlights, couldn't we? And I know you texted a couple of days ago, suggested we'd, we we uh, go for our player of the year. Maybe it's a good way to start. And, of course, that's not the way we do it in, in Salute Grizzly. I always think that's the same with football when you think, you know, players of the year or managers of the year. Now, that's that's what it's called in football, of course, but it means the season. And it always will, in the same way it always will in snooker. So it's interesting, just as a little experiment, I think, to, to talk about the player of the last 12 months. Very hard. I mean, I, I almost, you know, thinking about it the last couple of days, half sort of gave up. In the end, I sort of think, it's probably Judd. It's probably Judd. Because of the twin things of winning the Masters, which, as I always say, feels like another year because it's so long ago. The treble in the autumn, and they're all big candidates. Luca winning the world title, Ronnie for what he did, that historic win at the UK, Sean Murphy with that amazing form of his in the late winter and early spring, and uh, Wushang Ander, who's been such a delight to watch You know, in this new new 23-24 season. Um, but I'm going to go for Judd. But um, it doesn't pass much scrutiny. It, it, it's um, it's very close, isn't it? And just shows, you know, how many top performers we've, we've had during this last 12 months, eh? Yeah, for sure. I don't think there's one outstanding candidate. I think it'd be nice. Maybe we should put this to a Twitter poll or something. Um, but, yeah, I think I would just about lean there too because of the the it, it's weird because it feels like he's just done those three recently. But then, yeah, you almost forget about the Masters because it feels so long ago. Um, but that... One of the three triple crowns plus that hat trick, which you know uh, we we mentioned that on the Christmas special, you, we could easily not see that again for a long, long time. So it shouldn't be underestimated. Um, and yeah, I think the other four candidates I had in mind were uh, Luca, obviously for the World Championship, but very little else really from Luca. Um, obviously, the World Championship counts at least double to most other things, but that is it. Um, Ronnie, you yeah, know. He's up there. He'll get some. He'd get some votes, I'm sure. Uh, Sean Murphy, Mark Allen. Um, it's all pretty tight. I'm sure no one would get no votes if that went to went to the public. But yeah, I think uh, the Masters plus that amazing hat trick, and as you say in the autumn, I'd also lean towards Judd. But that that also feels weird as well because as I say, the World Championship sort of counts double, and um, Judd's World Championship was as forgettable as a World Championship as he's ever had, really. Turned up there with no form and went out in the first round. Um, so maybe he counts double minus for that, if, <laughs> if you like. Um, so, yeah, no obvious, obvious choice, but I think we're just about in agreement that it's Judd for us. Yeah, no, you say you, 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 make, you say it very well there. I mean, yeah, double, sometimes treble you feel the World Championship. If you had to pinpoint, I'd say it's about two and a half. It wasn't, you know, mathematician. It's about two point five four of, of of everything else, Phil. And um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because sometimes think it's, you know, sometimes think it's too dominant. Uh, I, I tend to think we in the media just a hunch push it up that little bit more, even than maybe other groups. Just, just, just the feeling I have. Um, but I do remember Mark Selby. It might have been in the one 
the one gone. And he was asked about it, I think, wasn't wasn't he in the press room at the Crucible? And said, no, obviously it is the biggest tournament, but that doesn't mean, you know, that other players that have won more should necessarily be supplanted by the world champion if the world champion hasn't done much more, if you get my drift. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the case with Luca, isn't it? Um, but he listened. Everyone would swap their year with Luca if you get what I mean. I think probably maybe Judd even I don't know. You have to maybe not Judd actually because he like he likes he likes this sort of going for everything thing. So maybe in that example he, he's won so much that he wouldn't. But um, but you know most players probably work. That is the ultimate uh, triumph. Fascinating to see how, when we, when Luca gets back, isn't it? I mean it 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 will most likely be soon, won't it? And it, he's a bit of, he's an inspirational kind of guy and character anyway, and he, he'll soon burst back to life. But um, I think Dave said in the special, some, some levels it doesn't really matter that much, does it? And it's certainly not the season after, I always think. I know I've broken record, but the game is littered with it. We know that. The season after, you you really, the most interesting thing might be the season after the season after. A bit like the manager after the manager after, after an incredible manager in football. That's when you really want to strike. So I'm not saying this is season's a write-off for Luca. Far from it. He could still win stuff and do big stuff. But um yeah, it's uh, unique pressures. He did speak a bit more of the UK, didn't he? I think just about that. I think one interview, Rachel Casey comes to mind. And it, you can almost see it in his face. It's like, you know, that sort of puffing of the cheeks and, you know, that, you know, you visibly see that it, the attention you get and just the, the responsibilities you get and the status is, is so much for any, any, any player, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, very difficult to deal with and you he sort of takes everything in his stride, but in, he deals with it in a reasonably unique way. But I think at the Scottish Open just before Christmas, when he, he needed some wins to get into the Grand Prix, and that was, I think, the first time I'd noticed where he looked, started to look quite frustrated with himself and how he was playing. And, I mean, you don't see him angry. I wouldn't even go as far as he was angry then, but certainly frustrated. Um, so I can imagine he, he... And he spoke then about how he's been working hard again and he wants to get back to the practice table and... Um, have a good assault on the second half of the season. And I think he will, uh, and results will start to come again. But it, it's sort of, you leave yourself in a in a ropey position, really, because he's missed out on the Grand Prix, which makes it very, very difficult to make it into the players and the Tour Championship after that. So, um, you know, he's not short of playing times. He'll be at the Masters, at the German Masters, um, and then the Welsh, the World Open from there on in. But that the calendar could be a lot busier than it is for him in the second half of the season. So um, his odds of winning a tournament in his year as world champion probably aren't great at the minute because they're not loads left to go in and he's not showing much form. Um, but, you know, after what he did in Sheffield, and we knew this about him anyway, um, he's the kind of guy that can just win anything out of anywhere. So we don't know. Um but, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to watch and it'll be interesting to see sort of a knuckle-down Luca again and see if that works because that was the opposite of what worked at the World Championship. He's just a very hard man to pin down, isn't he, for, for many, many reasons. Um, but you sort of must watch because you don't know what to expect from him. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And uh, that will be one of the many fascinating aspects of, of 2024 uh, to come. We'll have some hopes, perhaps, for, for, for the new year to come soon from us. Well, highlights and well, I have to say, I really enjoy listening to you talk about the World Championship in our Christmas special and just how big that is for you personally and all of us in the media, really. You, I think, a bit of an extra layer for you for being a Sheffield man. There's that sort of pride thing of it being local. Obviously, you physically are local, so you 
you're so much at the centre of it all. You're there at the championship so much. You're in the city. I go for a fair amount. I think the recent times I've probably been on average for about half the tournaments, probably making a couple of visits, an early one and a later one. And listen, you never fail to be surprised by how much of a, a bubble it is really, how intense it is. It's that word. It's so intense. It's like nothing else. The jail thing in the Ronnie documentary, brilliant analogy. It's just um, a tournament like no other. And, you know, it was a brilliant one. You know, we, we're never sort of tired, tired of talking about it, really. What Luca did, what Cedroy he did to go so far. Um, you know, just uh, a, a great final, really good final. So exciting. The result, no one expected arriving on the Monday, which is another great element to it. Everyone thought Selby would do it pretty much. He didn't. Luca did it. And uh, just the crowd's so big. I mean, we, you know, there are various debates, aren't there, what sort of, play snooker is in certainly among ourselves in the sort of the, the inner snooker community if you like um you know we could be doing better on some levels of course is it in crisis i'd say certainly not and when you look at the success of our bigger tournaments the idea of a crisis is is it feels mad because we're, we're going to a masters now we can't get a ticket for love nor money i think as dave said it's the first time it's ever sold out i'm not the not all the hospitality bits, although they nearly are, I think, but every regular seat, which is amazing. I mean, okay, it's nearly half a century old, great history, people love the Masters, but nevertheless, tough times, you know, people's hard-earned money, January, of course, a time when particularly people are up against it financially. That's a great effort. UK, we've just seen great crowds. Tour Championship, I'm sure, will have good crowds in Manchester this time. Again, Dave, talking about how much they're going to sell that this time. And the Crucible, I mean, just goes from strength to strength. So, golden ticket, maybe the last few years there, we don't know for sure. Contracts till 27. So, it's that maybe that extra feeling even more of let's make the most of it. And the whole thing is just so brilliant for us, for fans, isn't it? And that always just ends up being such a massive highlight. Yeah, it's it's hard not to have that as your highlight of the season when that comes there, and um, it's an amazing experience to be there. Even to sit and watch it on the telly, like you don't have to be there, but it yeah. does uh, it does add more to it. Um, it's just a unique experience in sport, isn't it? You know, there's always that line of it's longer than the Olympics, and it's just it's just one event. Um, so just just sort of sitting and watching through it, it feels like you've achieved something by the end of it. Um, and yeah, we spoke about it before. Just how what a great addition of it was. Um, it's too much to speak about uh, uh, now, but yeah, it was just incredible. And um, yeah, hopefully, I can't imagine why, you know, if we're doing like hopes and for 2024, I don't think you need to sort of put too much hope down on the World Championship because it always delivers, doesn't it? We don't need to sort of go, oh, I hope it's a, a good one this year. It's uh, okay. um, we're pretty, pretty confident it will be. Um, yeah. So that's no worries there. Um, but yeah, some of the other ones you mentioned in Manchester, I think if we, if we can sl- slide in some hopes 2024 now, mm. um, got some big hopes for those that Manchester double header because it's the world yeah. mixed doubles, isn't it? Followed by the tour championship. And um, this is the kind of thing we've been like calling for for a while and hoping that they do and get get a really good venue in a big city in the middle of a big city. I mean, the venue is literally called Manchester Central. So it's 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 doing what it says on the tin there. Um, and hopefully, uh Big, uh, you know, exposure, PR around it, good crowds, hopefully. Um, it'll all look good. And that hopefully that'll, you know, expand in other things because we've said about the need to, you know, there's the reasons why the biggest um, tournaments do so well in big cities. You know, they are big tournaments, but it's the location, you know, Sheffield, York, London. Um, you know, we should be aiming for 
um, the big cities in the UK where it's easy to get to, where the best venues are, where um, there's huge catchment area fans who are just around anyway who might want to come. There's there's lots of clubs you can go and advertise in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so Manchester's a good start on that. Um, you know, I don't want to knock other places too much, but, you know, we've gone back to, say, Telford this season for the Players' Championship. Telford's not really what I have in mind when I'm explaining those, those situations. Um yeah, it's, it's more like Manchester. So hopefully that'll be a great success. Um, I'm sure it will be because um, they picked a big tournament, a good tournament to take there. Um, so, yeah, that that would be one of my hopes that that is as good as we're expecting it to be. I think I used the line that you have to work hard to find romance in Telford in a recent Sporting Life column, which I feel a bit guilty about. Not 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 matter. I stand by it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying you can't find romance. I say you have to work hard. There is a difference. Um, I think it's just a logistics thing as well, you know. It's you know, I don't know what the trains to Telford are like from the rest of the UK, but I imagine you have to go to Birmingham and then out again to Telford. There probably aren't too many direct trains to Telford from many of the other uh, hubs of the country. Um, so it's just ease as ease of getting to things. Uh, the the more people who can get there simply. Uh, and effectively and without hassle, you know, it's going to be a bigger, better tournament, you would think, just uh, on simple terms. <laughs> well, I'm a bit of a railway obsessive, so it's a good question that's in my mind there. I think I've got a direct train to Shrewsbury before, which I think is on that route, but I don't think there are that many a day, so I think, yeah, you, you're on the right lines there. Whereas Manchester, of course, you know, sells itself. I was just thinking now, around, I don't know exactly who Manchester United or, or Manchester City are playing at that time, but there'll be home games during it. So there'll be that sort of buzz of the city, things going on. It, it won't be that far away from the Grand National, obviously in a different city in Liverpool, but still the northwest of England. So I love that time of year anyway, that early spring. There's so much going on in sport generally and sport in the UK. So it's really got that, it's got the pre-crucible thing. You're right, it's right in the middle of a, one of our greatest cities. So doesn't mean it's going to be a success. Guarantee you should have to work hard to sell it, but it, it's a very good start. And I agree that's one of my, one of, will be one of my, uh, hope so that's a, a real real top event and actually I suppose um, another sort of big hope would be a brand new country for me for, for ranking about a totally new one not not one that necessarily we've been hearing about that's nearly got over the line well we had talk about Saudi in different places but you know somewhere totally new because um, you know I listened to Dave again recently and you know he was sort of saying you know there's certain places we the, the sport's done brilliantly. I mean, UK goes without saying. China pretty much goes without saying. Germany, great now. It's two big events there. You know, Berlin coming up again. What, what a tournament that is. Great. Build on those. Keep building all the time. But now now new, somewhere new. You know, it's a, it's, it's a global sport. We keep telling ourselves. But it doesn't feel global enough, if, to, be re- to be really honest. Now, the pandemic hasn't helped that. And there are other... Yeah, there's nuance here. There are other sports that call themselves global, but only tend to have their events in a in a handful of countries. So we're not alone. But let's reach for the stars type thing, Phil. If I'm just getting my Barry Hearn um, book of lines out, sort of thing he would say, aim for the stars. That that's one of mine. Let, let's go to a whole new, maybe not region, could be a European country, but a really good new base for a new tournament like that Turkey. That was great, really, wasn't it? Didn't last long, a real show. I know we didn't go, but loads of our colleagues did. And I've forgotten the one 
might have been the Crucible, actually. It wasn't that long after. And they were all still talking about it. What a great place it was. Real, you know, new frontiers for the game. Such a shame it didn't last. There was a buzz around it. And I want a bit of that again type thing. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, that had a great feeling when um, they went over there. Just it looked different, felt different, like different times, you know. Um, and it's been... Whenever you talk to anyone uh, sort of running the game, they're always talking about... Uh, there's interest, there's lots of growing interest in all these places you wouldn't necessarily expect. And uh, then you see these amazing exhibitions that they have all around Europe that are full oh. up. A couple of thousand people in Finland recently. Yeah. Um, it was earlier this season, was it? It was the end of last season, that one in Hungary that was sold out uh, very quickly, 3,000 people over a weekend. Um, and I know it's very, very different putting on an exhibition with a couple of top players than putting on a ranking event. It's obviously a completely different challenge, but there's no doubt that there is interest there um, in parts of the, the world where we, we don't have tons even anywhere near that. Um, yeah, Dave has said before, Dave Henderson said before about this Euro, the idea of a Euro series and sort of tour it round um, and make the most out of uh, <clears throat> interest around the continent, around the world, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Just something something different on the calendar would be great to see because they've made that clear as well. Um, you know, Steve Dawson said that in the few things that he has set out. It, they don't, after COVID, you know, COVID made it so clear how reliant on China we were, which we knew anyway, but it made it painfully obvious. Um, and the, you know, the idea after that is to not be so reliant in the future. Not that we think the same things can happen, but it just shows that you need to have um, your fingers in as many pies as possible, really. Um, and that's not happened yet, has it? You know, we've gone straight back to UK and China. Um, and great, you know, we wanted the calendar back and it's busy and that's good. Um, but the work needs to be on now to to expand the horizons. And, um, you know, there's interest Yeah, Scandinavia, Eastern Europe, um, Spain often gets a mention. You know, there's traditional sort of places, you know, like Malta always used to be a place on the calendar and stuff like that. Um, India gets talked about about going back over there. So that'd be good. Um, you know, Australia, I don't know what what happens over there. Um, but we've got one of the biggest stars in the history of the sport is Australian. He's over there now doing exhibitions. Um, so, yeah, I agree. That was... Um, that was on my list of something I want to see. Obviously, it's not this; it's not the first half of twenty twenty four, but the next season. Um, yeah, something new, something fresh on the calendar, something to get excited about, um, and hopefully, you know, expand new markets. Yeah, great way of saying it. I think out of context, snooker went to an exhibition in the recent days, actually, of nearly Melbourne that looked very good. And while we say you're right to mention Finland, I don't think we've specifically mentioned that on here, have we? And a mention for Q Power blog on on Twitter. I've always think it's a, gr- a great snooker character, and he posted some smashing pictures from there, didn't he? And that that venue looks absolutely brilliant. Doesn't mean necessarily, you know. That of course, I know this sort of thing that you know I've heard Dave say before. But that necessarily, you know, can you know immediately think, well, there's going to be a ranking event there. There's a lot more to it than that. But it just shows, and I mentioned this in. In, you know, in my sporting life review of the year, there's a bedrock of support out there. You only have to look at events on the continent, be they exhibitions, even like this one in in, in Finland. It was Tampere, I think, wasn't it? It was in, mm. um, and it's brilliant. Just an absolute delight to see the enthusiasm there. 
just the the crowds, huge crowds, you know, and it's um it's brilliant, it's brilliant, and I just wish that you know really big snooker wish of mine that as many of those people can get one day to see a, an actual banking tournament. You know, that would be so nice, wouldn't it? If they could do that. And I, I must mention that that was, it was Neil against Mark Selby, wasn't it? It should have been mm. Luca, shouldn't it? I think Luca wasn't well. I did hear and yeah. didn't go quite late, but, um, but obviously two, two marvellous players. So that went down really well. Yeah. Neil went there, didn't he, before he went to Australia, where he is now wishing him a good break, of course, over Chris, over the festive period. Hopefully he's back all guns firing for the, the second half of the season, kicking off with the Masters, just to remind you, that's where we'll start our new year next year, uh, next week, of course, both next week and next year, Phil. That's a double yeah. for you. We'll, we'll, we'll kick off 2024, looking ahead to the Masters. Uh, I think, well, before I forget, of course, another mention for Ronnie, who feels like he dominated the last five, six weeks of the year type thing with the documentary, didn't we love that premiere? My goodness me, that wasn't that wasn't a normal uh, night in the life of Hagen Metcalf, wasn't it? <laughs> was it getting old, old suited and booted for premiere with David Beckham and Alistair Campbell? I mean, that was um, so. what were we doing there? That was uh, what a night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not usually sort of our vibe, is it? But you know, you got to take that 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 kind of chance might never crop up again in this line of work. So we got to <laughs> no. we got to strike while the iron iron's hot there, haven't we? It was. It was great. And, you know, we said it again with on our Christmas special, but brilliant documentary. Just, you know, great, a great sports film, you know. And I and I know people that aren't necessarily into snooker uh, are enjoying it. And I'll tell you what, we got um, uh, Amazon Prime at home. And that documentary for the last five, six weeks has been the first thing you see when you go on there, actually. Uh, yeah. Let alone just the sport. It's the first thing you see. See, you can't escape looking, you know, looking at it. So I, I, I don't know if we ever get numbers. Numbers always seem quite hard to get for those streaming companies. I know Netflix. I'm not saying Amazon Prime are necessarily, but Netflix always seem very guarded with their numbers. So not always easy to find those out. But um, hope it's doing well, obviously. Yeah, I thought the same actually because I was watching on something on Amazon Prime, and every time I went there, Ronnie was there, and I didn't know if it was some algorithm that had heard me heard me speaking about snooker in my living room, and it had done that on purpose you know um but no i thought the same that it's great that it's been front and center um and i've I, yeah loads of people have said to me that they watched it who wouldn't normally um necessarily be sports fans at all never mind snooker fans um and found it very interesting uh so yeah no i think it's it has done really well um as you say i don't know if we'll ever know how many people have actually watched it um and again and we've mentioned this a few times but it's probably not as many people as could have, should have watched it because we don't know how people abroad have been able to watch it, really. Oh, yeah. But, um, but yeah, can't do anything about that here. Um, but yeah, that uh, fantastic stuff. We, I feel like we spoke about it a lot, but yeah. it deserves it. It was excellent. It was. And of course, Ronnie then winning that historic eighth UK championship gave the, the end of the year, the, the last part of the year, a real sort of boom. Not that we needed it. It's a great snooker year anyway, but it gave it a real sort of frisk on towards the end. I uh, just say so we've got your correspondence coming. Uh, soon folks we've got a bit of a backlog we're going to take you through that uh low light uh has to be the match fixing scandal i mean that was a i mean i know we sort of started towards the end of last year but you know the the heart the heart of it the, the disappointing heart of it came came this year didn't it and it was uh real low low moments for the sport desperate really Let, let's be honest to, to have that many players huge percentage of players mired in this you know, ugly business. I know we spoke again about it again at Christmas special, but obviously at length at the time. And just hope that 
the way it was dealt with quickly means that we can move on to some extent. Uh, there'll always be nefarious behaviour. People always say, saying to me on social media and elsewhere, you know, this sort of thing's always going to go on. You know, most of us are not naive. Of course, there's always nefarious behaviour. There is on, in all sports. Unfortunately, we've got the Paris Olympic Games coming up. There'll be loads of athletes, uh, you know, that, that have taken drugs in the build-up to those games. I wish it weren't so, but that's human nature. Uh, you know, and I said, well, no one's suggesting we don't watch the Olympics or don't enjoy the games. You know, so let's keep it in perspective. We've had far less problems with cheating in this sport than many, many others that I that I know and follow. Nevertheless, dark episode. And uh, I know we've sort of spoken about it at length, Phil, but um, it was something we all had to stomach, didn't, didn't, didn't we? And um, But it was st- strong, effective action, great detail you know, after that hearing, in, in, in every sort of outcome listed so clearly and all, all different offences. I know we'll, we'll see some of the players back. I'm not saying they'll be welcome back with open arms, but I think most people, if I can do that rather grandiose thing of speaking on behalf of all snooker people, have probably got that rehabilitation thing in mind and will probably say, you behave badly, but, you know, life's too short. I would think most people would take this view, especially with those quotes, unquote, lesser offences. Let's see what you've got now. Let's see good behaviour for the rest of your career and let's see you can still build a future in the game. I think so, yeah, because, I mean, it's on at the minute. You know, some people are saying, I, I remember at the time people reading that, um, people saying that, oh, yeah, these people will never be allowed back on, no one will play them, they'll not be able to shake hands or look him in the eye. It's like, well, you know, there's people on the tour now, Charlie Peng's just played in a ranking final, um, and he was banned for match fixing. Um, so people do people do move on, um, especially... And I mean, maybe a bit unfair to talk about one person in particular, but Jiaxing Tong was such a such a likable character. Um, you know, I've met him a few times and um, was very much like that uh, when you when you speak to him. Um, and I, I can't really imagine people holding a massive grudge against him just because he's such a nice fella. Um, and he was on the, the by far the sort of the lowest end of uh, the severity of things. So he'll be the first back. Um, and yeah, like you said, I don't think everyone will be sort of uh, un- unfurling the streamers and letting off the party poppers when he comes in for his first tournament. Um, but I don't think it will be sort of uh, ostracised either. Um, the other guys uh, might be a bit different, um, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, obviously that was a low point. There's no other way of um, selling that. And we, we sort of still got this Mark King thing sort of going on. Um Every time you ask anyone, they just say it's ongoing. I don't know any more details. Um, and it's, it's pretty mad how long that's been going. That's months and months and months and months. Um, so not ideal, really, that. Um, but, yeah, uh, obviously the, the match fixing was uh, a very low point. Um, I thought I was looking back when we mentioned Turkey as well. I remember that being can- when that got cancelled and feeling like that was a real low ebb. And it feels a long time ago now because... The, the, the calendar's so packed again. Um, but that was a real low point in terms of the players feeling like they had nothing to play in and um, real concerns about, like, you know, people having the opportunity to earn money. Um, and that was only in the last year. Uh, but it seems mad now because since then we've been moan- mainly moaning about having too much to play in and schedules and um, so many tournaments you can't go and play in exhibitions and stuff. So things do change uh, very quickly. Um, so I'm sort of spinning that into a bit of a positive now. But yeah, certainly what times that like March time um, that really did feel like the sport was struggling a bit in that sense. But yeah, think things can change pretty rapidly. 
I think you're right. Uh, are you happy that we've taken care of the year? We did loads of the Christmas special, quite a bit now. I think about half an hour. Should we, should we, as a completist, let's maybe deal with the, the backlog of, of, of correspondence there. And that's coming next. You are listening here to the final Talking Snooker episode of 2023 with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Merry Christmas, everybody, of course. Compliments of the season. The final days of 2023. Looking forward to 24, of course. And let's turn to your correspondence now and first go to Cameron Hutton, who says, Hello, Nick and Phil. I've been loving recent editions of the podcast and thought I'd write in uh, with my thoughts on the Scottish Open quarterfinals as I was spectator for the whole Friday. And I'm writing to you, in fact, on the eve of the first semi-final. And it really was a, a very fine end to the tournament, wasn't it? Won by Gary Wilson. Well, the standard of play was excellent from match one. Big breaks, beautiful queuing and truly permanent uh, class. A fantastic feast of snooker. Seeing one of the class of 92, John Higgins do what he does best before my eyes is something to be treasured for a long time. Despite the Scott being the headliner, every match had something a little special. Very happy to see Xiao Yulong, Nopon Sankam and defending champion Gary Wilson go further. And commiserations to Stuart Bingham, Tom Ford, Chris Wakelin and Sanderson Lang. Great effort from Sanderson, wasn't it, getting that mm. far, of course. All fantastic. And you, I know you mentioned him a few times. So you, you had a bit of a pointer towards how well he was doing and he really showed it. All fantastic players in their own right and should be proud of what they're achieving. Also, getting to see that trademark smile from Nopon as I congratulated <laughs> him on his win. Warmed my heart as I left. That must have been great. What a, what a nice early Christmas present. The venue was great again. Whilst not at the same level as other venues granted, it suits snooker well, in my opinion. And I'm glad to see this event get good support yet again. Shortish uh, email from me, but overall, a very good day out of the snooker. I found it to be well run on WST's part. And I hope the Scottish Open continues to stay in Edinburgh for the foreseeable future. And not just as it's 40 minutes away from me, Cameron. Well, Merry Christmas, Cameron. Great to hear from you. Yeah, I must admit, I've not been to that venue, so I can't speak, speak of it. Um, I know Edinburgh very, very well. Wonderful, wonderful city. You know, again, broken record stuff, but venues, if you've got a good one, stick with it. That's the key thing. I know there's talk, isn't there, but maybe they're staying for a few years now. Good, because that's what you need. And nothing, you know, it could be Edinburgh, could be Glasgow. We seem to have stuck now in Edinburgh. Great city. Let's get a fix there now. And then people will start knowing about it more next year. Oh, this is, I, know, I remember that last year and the year before. You know, you've got to build up history when you've got a good place, stick with it, eh? And it's good to see that Cameron had a good day out. Well, I think, did I go quiet or you went quiet there? I probably me, sorry. Oh, dear. I was just, I was just uh, making the point that when you get a good venue, stick with it. Um, you know, let's talk of a few years in Edinburgh now, and let's hope so because that's important for the tournament. It's great to see Cameron on a good day out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. I've not been to the Meadowbank. I was supposed to be there this year, but the bloody trains scuppered me. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure how um, too much about the venue itself, but I do know it's in a it's like in the middle of the city. You can walk there from the train station, all the all the other amenities. So that's you know that's half the battle. Just make it easy to get to in a great city, and that's exactly what it is. Um, so yeah, that would be ideal if it if it stays there. Um, it's and then we've spoken about this a lot. So the the Scotch Open catching up with the other, uh, well, the Welsh and Northern Irish. I don't think it needs to catch up with English too much, but 
Um, yeah, um, glad to hear you had a good day there. And yeah, and a word for Samson Lamb. Um, is it, it shows <laughs> you know, he won a lot of a lot of first round matches. You know, I suppose if you look at his sort of Q track and stuff or his Wikipedia, uh, it wasn't obviously he's having like an amazing season, but guys sort of in the bottom half of the rankings, just winning your first round matches a lot, and then maybe the odd one after that is, is, a, is a big step because it's so hard. The draws can be so tough that um, just winning one match in tournaments is very difficult. And he's been doing that very regularly. But he, he kicked on in Edinburgh, first ever quarterfinal. Um, so what a great end to the year that is for him. So congratulations there. And, uh, um, yeah, really nice guy. Um, anyone, anyone who's had any dealings with Sanderson will say the same. So, yeah, well done to him. Um, we'll move on to Tommy O'Prey. Hello. Oh, this is, this is one of the... Multiple ones. Hello, Dave. This came, this came in a bit, a day or two late for our Christmas special, but I thought, never mind. We'll, 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 we'll talk about Dave and his absence. He won't mind. Yeah. Um, firstly, can I thank you all for the work you do for Snooker and the hours of time each week it must take to plan, research, and record your respective podcasts? My email is more of a moan comment than a question. Um, I was lucky enough to attend the final of the Scottish Open in Edinburgh. However, I have to say the seating was terrible. My own seat was in Block C where there just wasn't enough room to sit comfortably to enjoy the show. I was forced to cut my full-day ticket short due to back pain through brought on by the position I was forced to sit in. Sadly, I was unable to attend the evening performance, which is obviously the highlight of the event. My partner bought the ticket, costing £58, which, although good value for money, isn't cheap. I've raised this with a venue who directed me to WST as the seating belongs to them. I attended this event last year, and the seating was far better, so I really hope my moan helps. On a much happier note, I did meet Alan McManus, who was gracious enough to have a picture with me. Anyway, thanks again for all your hard work, and I hope you and your respective families have a wonderful Christmas. Regards, Tommy. Well, yeah, <clears throat> that kind of thing is huge, actually, and that's why we like to hear from people who have been to the venues um, and have actually got to watch it there, because even when you know we go to the venues sometimes and uh, don't get the full spectator experience while we sit in our little media room somewhere. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of thing is... Uh, just unacceptable, isn't it, really? If, if people can't sit through a day snooker because the seats, um, then people aren't aren't doing the jobs properly. That's uh, sorry to hear that, Tommy. Um, and yeah, um, hopefully, hopefully that won't be the case again. Because as I say, if if, <laughs> if fans can't sit and watch snooker without having to leave because they're so uncomfortable, then that's no good. Yeah, and it's and it's um, <laughs> it's why venues in buildings that are always there and seats that are always there tend to be the, the better ones, like the Crucible. And the Crucible's magic for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is, is actually just brilliant at a practical level, great, comfortable seats. So mm. pleasurable to sit at the Crucible. And there are others as well uh, uh, on the tour like that. But <laughs> interestingly, it feels quite topical because talk about seats because the master seats are no good at all, you know. I mean... They don't, I mean, they're only best of 11, aren't they, for all the weeks? So you're not, you know, but you can still be there three or four hours, you know, it could be, they could go on a long time. And actually, you know, this is not just me hearing other people. I, I sneak in there or sometimes get a ticket from our friends at WST and w would go in myself. And they're, they're no good, those seats. They're, they're a bit like modern. You know, when you go on an airplane now, you think they're getting a bit smaller every time. A bit like chocolate bars, Phil. They're always getting smaller, aren't they? Well, I always think airplane. Wait a second. You go on Ryanair and EasyJet, you think, and I'm sorry, I'm not getting my measuring stick out here, but these dimensions are a tiny bit smaller every time I get a flight. I'm sure of it. And, of course, you do, 
you, you get a little bit of that. That's a bit of that vibe at the Masters. Listen, it's great in many ways because it means 2,000 people and it is a brilliant, brilliant tournament. But the one thing that isn't brilliant it, it, is comfort. It really isn't. And, and I know the odd fan that say they won't go because of that. And that's, you know, it doesn't sound particularly harmful because every ticket's sold out. But, but yeah, I mean, it's just one of those, one of those trade-off things. Ali Pali's a great historic venue, but it's not a permanent arena-type venue at all. So that, that's just, yeah, one of those things. It's interesting. You don't, you don't often hear about that. You only hear sort of good things about the Masters generally, which is great. We talk mainly good things as well, but the seats are far from good. But, yeah, as you say, it's a shame. I hope it's better for you next year, Tommy. And thanks for thanks for letting us know. And thanks for your words about the podcast. And that's to, to Dave as well, if you're listening, of course, for Snooker scene. Brilliant effort throughout the year, as we were saying on our Christmas special. Uh, always let us know when you go to tournaments. It's absolutely invaluable, especially if we're not there. Talking snooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talking snooker. Uh, now, we have now got emails that people listening, if they are listening, will probably jump out of their skin and think, wait a sec, I said this before Michaelmas, but we've been so busy. Phil, that um, I've been a bit of a completist. I always keep them to one side and think, you know, and I, and I, and I insist we've got about, not 100, but a good, I'm going to say about 90% record of reading out correspondence. So I know sometimes it might seem like they're late. But we do try and get get our, do our best to get them on. That's certainly the case with these next few now. Starting with Igor Ferez, who says, I've written a piece on my blog, Down the Rail, about the conflict of interest in having Matchroom owning 51% of WST. Having a private company running the sport, although Barry Home was fantastic to snooker for 10 years, can be dangerous in the long term. Uh, Eagle says, snooker is not even Matchroom's focus anymore. I see them caring about nine ball pool and using snooker just as a solid profit source. I think, as is the case in some sports, that the organisation should be owned by the players and run by a board of members. Uh, Matchroom's current service and decision making gets me very scared for the future of the game. Igor, and that's uh, at Igor Snooker 147 uh, on Twitter. And I know you're a big, big snooker man, Igor, and thank you, for, thank you for contacting us. Well, I mean, Matchroom is a business. And sometimes I hear people talk about Matchroom as, you know, as if they're some sort of, you know, benevolent uncles and aunties type figures that are spraying goodwill and confetti onto all the snooker they're doing it to make money um no question but but they are good it's a good business i have to say it's a bloody good business actually and we saw that didn't we in the pandemic when they famously told their staff and many companies did not do this many companies went straight for furlough and i'm getting a bit political here or straight for you know well unfortunately, straight to looking at how they could make cuts. And they didn't do it at the time. They did it very soon after the pandemic. Well, Matchroom was different. We said, your jobs are safe. We've got reserves. It's a very well-run business. Barry Hearn is, in his heart, an accountant. He'll, he'll say that. That's his words. And it is a, well, a well-run business. And they have done good things for snooker. Um, I'm not sure. Look, I mean, you only have to look at events like the, champ, uh, uh, the um, Champion of Champions to, to see that I don't think it's quite fair to say that Matchroom have taken their eye off the ball with snooker. I mean, when they do have snooker events, I think they put them on pretty well. They're still innovative. They're looking for new ideas. You know, I think one of the key signs would be, for example, if that event suddenly went a bit dry and oh, they, they, they've given up on that, then, you know, that's not at all the case. They're always doing new things and trying to make things better. And I know <laughs> to uh, two or three people I know in the game are, 
have said that word qualification that they think that it's going down that road a bit but you know there are lots of different snooker events in the year maybe a little bit more that pizzazz for a couple of them or two or three of them you know is, is not a bad thing what i would say about paul is and i'm not the world's biggest paul expert by any means but i also you know have a fairly good working knowledge of, of the sport i think it started from an unbelievably low base i mean they had to work very hard there was nothing there really and i can't remember who barry was on with it might have been with hendry actually it was an it was an audio. It was Barry's voice here. It was an audio interview, and he. I remember very clearly him saying that. Oh, Barry Hearn's words here. People will say, "There's Matchroom again, getting on another big bandwagon, making a load of money, doing that, taking over." But Barry said, "Well, well, no one else is doing anything." That was his point. He said, "No one else is doing anything in pool." And I know because I've been around Paul people, there's been frustration, people tearing their hair out for years. Listen, Paul's never going to be the world's biggest television sport, but it was so small, it was sort of ridiculous, actually, in recent years. I would say that. Moscone Cup, huge. Two or three other events, big, big-ish. You sometimes see it popping up on the BBC website. They have sort of you know national events and what have you, but not really. Now, it's on all the time. Big tour. Matchroom have put their weight behind it. But I don't know if that is necessarily supplanting snooker. I know we have snooker players going off and play pool, but that's happened a bit less recently. I mean, that to me, that happened absolutely loads when there was no snooker events. You know, that whatever that was, the autumn before last or a couple of autumns ago. Yeah, I mean, Judd went off, didn't he? And a few others went off. And it's like, well, there was no snooker. And that was a problem. And we spoke openly about that at the time and how much of a problem it was. But that's not been so much of a problem lately. I could be wrong. I could be missing it. But that, that seemed to be quite as much snooker pool crossover in that sense. So um, I can see what Eagle's saying. There is There are kernels of truth in some of the things he says. I know others have voiced worry as well, not just Igor. But it's a bit too much worry for me. I'm not as scared as that. And um, I hope there was some... Words of wisdom among the waffle there, Phil Hay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't think them being interested in nine ball pool is, is a is a problem, you know, that they're a multi sport business anyway, you know, boxing and darts and other things have always been <clears throat> focuses of that as well. I don't know if I don't know if you would ever have said Suka was the, the chief focus above anything else anyway. Um <clears throat> I don't think they would say that anyway. So yeah, I'm not I'm not concerned uh on that front. And as you say, they're they're that uh, they want snooker to be successful for them to be successful. So there's no um, dropping the ball or even taking the eye off the ball from from those guys. I don't think so. Yeah, not not a big worry for me. Um, I suppose I suppose the pool worry now is the sort of rise of Chinese eight ball pool, which seems to be attracting more and more um, interest and seems to have a huge amount of money in, um, and that seems to be on on the rise, which could uh concern snooker in that part of the world but um but the reception for snooker since the pandemic has been so good that i don't think that's too much of a panic either um yeah i think i think there's there's a lot of sort of worry about what's going on in in other sports and stuff i think you just need to focus on ourselves really in terms of snooker and do the best there um and then that and then the sport will thrive rather than worrying too much about um people leaving to go and play other stuff um, although I don't think that's what Igor is really suggesting there. Um, so let's move on to Ben Ashmore. Hello, gents. Uh, 
Uh, I'm very concerned about the state of the tour at the moment. I can't help but worry about the future of the game, especially in the UK. Oh, this shows when this came in, actually, from Ben. What really made me think about this is that whilst watching the Wuhan Open final, my dad walked in and said, not another tournament. What on earth is this one now? It's ridiculous. He was also he also was shocked to see the Northern Ireland Open started this week and asked how much they were playing for. When I said the winner only gets 80 grand, he just shook his head and said he wasn't interested in watching. I've spoken to a few of my mates in our group chat about this today, and they're all pretty much saying there's too many tournaments and that many of them just feel like nothing events, and the general feeling is that it's overkill. I've got to say that I do agree to an extent. The World Snooker Tour just seems a bit of a mess at the moment. Maybe it's the after effects of the COVID pandemic, but things just don't seem right. The calendar just feels very messed up. Lots of back-to-back events, lots of smaller events with small prize money, unless you make the semi-finals and beyond. I still, look forward to, I still look forward to the Triple Crown events and some of the big Chinese events. But if I'm honest, I'm losing interest in the game at the moment. Ben. Um, well, thanks for that, Ben. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what World Snooker can't really win in situations like that, can they? You know, players want tournaments playing. They go mad if there aren't many tournaments playing. Um, you know, and then it seems to be people complaining that there's too many tournaments on you know i suppose the answer is if you don't if you're not interested in the small tournaments just don't watch them it's not no it's making anyone watch the the northern Ireland open if they don't want to um yeah i did laugh when he said his dad just shook his head and walked out of the room on hearing that the winner only gets 80 grand you know it's not that bad for a week's work is it um i wouldn't mind that myself um but yeah, uh, the tour has got to be busy. Players need earning opportunities. Not every tournament is going to be great. Um, I mean, if the home nations are the worst tournaments, they're not bad tournaments. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. There are it is busy, uh, but that's the only option, really. I don't really agree with this. A lot of this stuff, to be honest. No, I mean it's. Too many tournaments seems, you know, a bit like a funny complaint to me. I'd worry if there wasn't enough tournaments, that would be when I would start, you know, start to get concerned really and have done, especially in a sort of those first that first year or two post-pandemic. I mean, I think you don't have to watch every tournament. And that's the thing. And sometimes, and I know I'm as guilty as this, the next man, you get sort of, you know, the next man or woman, you get obsessed with the sport and you get really into it. I'm a bit like this with NFL, you know coming to a great time of the season now oh, I missed that game I want to see that game can't see every game you know we've got busy lives you can't see everything in the same way I'm obsessed with snooker but you know okay it was a different calendar this year but when the Scottish is normally on after the UK I won't really watch the Scottish first three or four days I'll get big into it again come the quarter semi um, so I, I don't know maybe this is not quite the point Ben's making but I, I just don't think you, you, you necessarily need to worry about what you follow follow some snooker follow all snooker Follow the bits you like. That's fine, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, when they're only getting eighty grand, I mean, eighty grand's all right, isn't it, Phil Haig? I mean, that's a bit bit more than we get a year, isn't it? But by about by about three three. Let's not go into that. Um, and you know, uh, I don't know really. I mean, it gets back into this maybe ranking tournaments. You know, not ranking tournaments, but the way we rank the tournaments in terms of importance. I mean, I think we got the balance about right. And I remember Michael McMullen made a good point. I know we had this triple grand debate. We had it a bit with me and Dave at Christmas special, but he, he was saying it, 
the worry he would have, you know, he's a big golf man, I know, is um, the majors become so important as they are in golf that the other events just fade away a bit. And I know that's true because trying to get European tour copy in newspapers for golf is non impossible beyond about three or four pars. Unless it's a great story, someone winning for the first time at 40 or, or someone hasn't won for 20 years or whatever, or Rory's playing in one or something like that. But I think we get the balance about right. We have those biggest events, you know, those those peak weeks, not just the the Masters UK World Championship, but the Tour Championship, Champion of the Champions, China Open when it's when it's on. But then the other ones, we have a place for it as well. I mean, not maybe I'll give fans a bit too much respect, or maybe I'm thinking too highly of the of the way they would see things. I think there's a lot of they understand the nuance generally. Of what events are the biggest? What events are still important? And where where all, where all of them place? And I think we we do pretty well in this sport compared to others. So, yeah, I'm sorry that you know maybe for for you that that and, and your friends that some tournaments aren't for you, but that's fine. You know, they are for some people. And then come back to the sport in a week or two's time when there's another event that does take your fancy type thing. I think that's probably the way I would say it. And Phil, maybe we'll move on to Sean Duffy in Ayrshire. By the way, just to say, this seems like a lot of downbeat um, e- e- emails, which is fine. We're not cheerleaders on this on this podcast. But if you're thinking, oh, it's a bit screwed like at Christmas, these aren't Christmas emails. The, 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 this is like when Jules Holland records his Christmas show in about August, Phil. This is the equivalent. <laughs> these are Some of these are very old emails. We just haven't read them out until now. So these guys are probably be a lot more benevolent, uh, you know. To, um, you know, we probably have, if he wrote again now, Ben would probably say, I love all tournaments. Because <laughs> um, it's Christmas. Anyway, Sean Duffy in Ayrshire. I often hear WST figures and pundits talk about the need for blue chip, quotes unquote, blue chip sponsors for snooker to replace gambling and in the past cigarettes. Are they living in another quantum reality? I felt like we were living in another quantum reality during that Christmas special field, but that's another matter. They cannot even broadcast a session of snooker without the scoring system collapsing. They are fortunate there are soulless bookies in the world, foolish enough to sponsor them now. Never mind making eyes at Rolex. Fans need to start switching off when this nonsense happens. The only way change will happen is if it hits WST in the pocket. Look at Rugby League for for years, similarly run like a dog and pony show. They've been forced by declining attendances and dwindling sponsors to bring in outside help uh, to modernise the game. Something very similar needs to happen in snooker. Enough is enough, Sean. Well, obviously, that's a strongly worded email. They have done that in Rugby League. That's true. Um, And now you see Rugby League back on free-to-air television and all sorts of things happening. Getting rid of relegation, I think, another thing in that sport. But that's obviously for Rugby League. So, listen, even the biggest of sports, and I grew up with Rugby League. Yeah, I mean, Dave has brought up show jumping in the Christmas special. Rugby League's different in the sense Rugby League is still pretty big, actually. But... It was huge when I was growing up. Challenge Cup final was a huge day in the calendar. So, you know, uh, and that sport has to has to do things. I don't know if we're quite in that position. I mean, I mean, sponsors are the worry. I mean, I'm, in recent days, we've heard again about, you know, the, the same sponsor for the UK is going to do the Masters. Uh, Mr. Q, isn't it, I think. Um, I mean, it's, it's not great. Uh, uh, I've got to be honest, it's not great. Um, you know, such a high profile. And it's a big sporting event, the Masters. Never mind just snooker. I know we get involved in our snooker bubble. But come the Masters, you know, 
it's a really big event in British sport. People in our office, places I work in, the Times and other places, they'll be really into it. What's happening in the Masters? I know that. They'll ask me more questions during that week. They just will because it's got such a, a, a sort of stranglehold on the public and they know it's that time of year and it's got so much history and people have watched it throughout their lives. And, you know, but it, it's the economy. It's the economy, isn't it? That's 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 the real problem. Um, and other sports are struggling for sponsors as well. And they obviously can't get, quotes, unquotes, bigger sponsors. They just can't. So that that that's a, a problem, and it's and it's to, and it's largely to do with the economy. So we we just wish you know that we did have more high profile sponsors, Phil. But I know they'll be beavering away and working hard to get them. But it's tough times, isn't it? Um, I mean, I, just thinking about our industry, I don't know, you know what your view would be, but every you know every, a bit off topic, but you never really hear in our game about things being boosted, do you? And a big new thing coming along, and loads of jobs being created. You just hear about the opposite. Jobs going, cuts being made, things being changed, fewer pages, fewer hours on air. So, you know, what I'm getting at is it's a tough world for everybody, not just snooker. So it's not like everyone's doing brilliantly in this economy and snooker's doing terribly. Snooker's doing badly like everything else, really. But so it's difficult. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, stronger, much stronger than I put it here. But um, the battle goes on, doesn't it? To get better, better sponsors, the battle goes on. Yeah, they're obviously not trying. I don't think anyone's just sort of sitting around and doing nothing about that. But uh, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, when you know, there's there's sort of you, you, there's certain types of sports that seem to do all right and have very prestigious sponsors. Um, you know, cricket never seems to uh, struggle with stuff like that. You know, football is obviously just a different beast entirely, like golf and tennis. But snooker gets sort of compared to those sports quite a lot of golf and tennis but it's just it's completely different um and yeah i mean i obviously agree that they need to sort basic things out um i'm not sure how much like like the live scoring would translate to better sponsors but you've got to sort out the basics and that would be a hope for 2024 as well wouldn't it just uh simple things like that get sorted um because we've been promised this sort of new website live scoring system for a long time now, and uh, it's been increasingly confusing how long it can take to sort out uh, because um, it can't be that complicated. Um, and yeah, when especially when it's sort of like on live TV, uh, games having to pause, um, that's not going to be a good look for sponsorship. If prospective sponsors are watching and they've got their their name on the advertising boards while the players are sat there looking annoyed because they can't play because the scoring's not working. Uh, that's not good. Um, but yeah, uh, I, sp- yeah, sponsorship is very hard. Bookmakers are one of the few companies that are uh, never short of a lot of money, um, and we we, sh- we shouldn't turn them down. You know, I don't know what the uh, you don't want no sponsors, but yeah, I agree that um, you know. We need to find a more diverse range. And ideally, you know, these things shouldn't be announced sort of a couple of weeks before tournaments start. That seems to be a lot in the last couple of years. Um, Days or weeks before tournaments as a new sponsor, which we hadn't heard of before, for a massive event. And it doesn't sort of instill great confidence in you that there's been huge long-term planning and the best deals have been sought out. Um you know, again, this the Masters one was only announced relatively recently. 
um, that happened with that dual bits recently. It was like days before a tournament started. Um, so, yeah, as I say, it's still great confidence. But, yeah, I agree. We want better sponsors. We want more prestigious sponsors. We want this sport to be aspirational. Um, and all we can do is hope, really. Very much so, Phil. Absolutely right. And we are nearly at the end, aren't we, of, of our final episode of the year. A lot of talking has been done. A little bit more to come. And you are listening here to the final Talking Snooker episode of 2023 with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Now, Phil, listeners are going to get a right shock here because they probably think, oh, those guys long forgot about the shots we can't get out of our heads. No. We're like elephants, Phil Haig. We don't forget. <laughs> we don't forget things. Shall we maybe pray to? Because some of these are quite long, and maybe we don't necessarily need to comment on each one. Because we, you know, we, we've all I think talked ad nauseum about some of the shots we like. Maybe we will a bit at the end, but let's go through them then, and uh, and 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 close this topic, and maybe uh, then we can with, with clear heads come up with new ones for twenty twenty four. Here's Ina first. Hi, Nick and Phil. Here are some of the most memorable shots for me. Uh, Try one news, amazing final red to the bottom right corner to get onto the black on his near 147. His first 147 attempt where he missed the final black. It happened again a few months later. John Higgins, superb double on the final red in his 147 attempt in the 2019 World Final v Judd Trump. That was brilliant. I was in the little photographer's booth for that. I said I wouldn't comment. Of course, I, I will. Typical snooker man, Phil. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was brilliant. That was a real drama. I actually looked across to the aforementioned Michael McMullen. I still remember the absolute joy on Michael's face as that double went in and the excitement. Michael sort of just sat forward a bit more and like, oh, this is something. Could it be the first one in the final? Of course, we have that. We have had the first one in the final now, thanks to Mr. Selby. Um, in that same match, says Ina, when Judd thumped a near straight red to the bottom left corner. The cue ended up in the air with all the backspin he imparted. It kick-started Judd into a run to the win. Uh, Ronnie missing a final black with Dominic Dale, whacking it into the left centre pocket, and Dominic's reaction. Cue ball left the table, uh, gifting Dominic the frame. That was the Scottish Open 2019. I had to Google the year and tournament. And Ronnie beating Selby in the 2020 World Semi-Final. It's especially and specifically the final frame, Ronnie playing that escape on the final red, glancing off the red to give Selby a stinker of a swerve shot for the red to the right centre pocket, which, of course, Ronnie then left, left Ronnie in for the win. Love your podcast, guys. You are a brilliant double act. Great humour, great attention to detail. Your love of the game that we all love completely shines through and is infectious. Many thanks for what you do from Ireland, Ina. Well, thank you for that, Ina. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for your kind words. And uh, yeah, I put the video up of that of that Ronnie um, is, escape actually, and it got hundreds of thousands of, of, of view of views. Phil, it got put it this way, it got more than most of the films on film four do. That's how many viewers. <laughs> um, I, I wonder if that's my last half baked hackneyed, much repeated gag of the year. We'll see. Over to you for Alex Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alex Wilson starts with now then, Nick and Phil, first time emailer. Wanted to drop a line and connect up two threads from the latest pod. Uh, I'm not sure which latest pod that was, though, to be fair. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. But by no means have I always been a hardcore snooker watcher, especially live. But the pandemic made me get back into it. And so since 2021, I've been attending occasional events. Last year, I took a tenner punt on cycling 15 minutes down the road to the UK Champs qualifiers at Ponds Forge on a rainy and cold November Tuesday. The main motivation was the chance to see Ding versus Tep Chaya. Surely worth a tenner of anyone's brass. Agreed there, Alex. Uh, while the crowd was not exactly heaving, it was certainly busier than recent qualifiers there. Uh, and the Ding Tep Chaya match uh, table was pretty full mainly with young local Chinese and Thai, and at least three professionals watching in the shape of Mink, Nopon, and Zhao Zintan. Zhao was sitting right in front of me and was playing a digital roulette game on his phone, bloody hell, um, which obviously in hindsight has some sad resonance, but that's another story. Uh, Tep Chaya was doing mad fun Tep Chaya things while Ding was solid. It was great to see both up close and personal down the forge, as no locals call it. Then in frame number, I forget, Ding was knocking in red blacks very tidily and the sense of anticipation was building. Last red was sunk with a black and the crowd were getting very hyped indeed. Rowdy even. Um, to see one live is obviously pure snooker watcher bucket list and with all colours on the spots we all thought it a given then Ding missed the yellow off the spot gutted we'll always remember Ding's knees sinking to the floor head on bays we went, he went on to win the match comfortably but it's sadly an expression we've seen all too much from the great man in recent times he doesn't look so happy out there hopefully he'll be back smiling soon anyway that's my memorable shot pick niche leisure, yeah, leisure centre cold and rainy conditions outside keep up the great work cheers Alex yeah, well, I guess that must be two UK championships ago. Um, but yeah, that I remember di- asking at the time, not wanting it to be a world championship final or anything. You know, these ex- these ones that maybe few other people didn't see these niche shots. So yeah, that is a very good one from Alex. <laughs> like the use of brass there. And as for niche leisure centre, cold and rainy conditions outside, I feel like an awful lot of my life, certainly growing up, was leisure centre, cold and rainy conditions outside, Phil. That feels like quite a a bushish line, that to me. Uh, Liam McMullen next. Hi, chaps. My shot I can't get out of my head. Not completely left field, as it is a Ronnie one, but I can't fully remember it and can't find it anywhere online. This is good stuff, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) How many read all these points? I've forgotten these. So you can't remember it, can't find it. This is the kind of thing we want for our memorable shots, Phil. (laughs) Hoping you guys can remember to help me put it together. Pretty sure it was in a big one, either the Worlds or UK, and was fairly recent within the last three or four years. I'm pretty sure he was somewhere like on the bolt cushion nearer the yellow pocket, and the brown was something like on its spot. This is one of my favourite emails of the year, I think. Queuing down on the white. He absolutely rifles the brown into the right middle and the white goes pinging round off all cushions down for the reds. It was absolutely silly business. I remember rewinding it on TV even after all the replays, but I can't fully remember it now. Hopefully you guys can. Cheers both, Liam. Well, maybe, um, I don't know if you remember it, Phil. Maybe our listeners can, if not. Um, and we move on anyway to Chris Bogon. <laughs> Yeah, hi, Phil and Nick. One shot that sticks in my mind is Cal Peng's final black at 8-7 in the Scottish Open final. It was so close, someone in the audience went, yes! But it rattled four or five times, stayed close to the bucket, and Neil Robertson ended up winning the decider. Didn't think any player's ever been close to winning without doing so. Yeah, I mean, that was remarkable, definitely. That really was, actually. That was really, really um, a memorable one. It was so close. It was, And that final, could they mention that viewing figures for that? 
bit forgotten actually. I remember it well because I'm pretty sure I was covering sports personality that night, as seems I've seen to have done since Gob was a boy, and I, I, therefore I didn't really watch a, a little bit like when Ronnie won his against Neil. Actually, that might have not been the that might have been the World Grand Prix that one eh? But anyway, that the. the those finals were both during sports personalities. I had that sort of double screen, busy working type thing, didn't follow it as much as I wanted to, but still saw enough of the Neil Carrie Peng to know that was just a great piece of snooker drama, just one of those finals that, you know, people, you know, that watched it will certainly remember. Phil Spivey next, nearly at the end, folks, nearly at the end of the year. Hi, Nick and Phil. You asked about shots that are hard to forget. One that sticks in my mind is the red Sean Murphy missed in what turned out to be the last frame of the 2021 Crucible final. Having come back from 17-13 to 17-15 with back-to-back centuries, he took on a risky red down the cushion, which would almost certainly have led to him winning the frame and being only one behind. And who knows what might have happened? I had no particular preference as to who won that match, as I liked them both, but was desperate to see the match go to a decider. That shot was typical of Murphy's approach to snooker, which is always to go for the attacking option and makes him such a great player to watch. That match as a whole was fascinating. Probably one rung below being a classic, but a great example of what Selby is so good at. Once he got ahead at 10-7 overnight, Murphy never managed to reduce the gap to less than two frames. It seemed every time he threatened to do so, Selby found another gear and increased his lead again. I think Selby is possibly the greatest frontrunner the game has ever seen, which is a big call to make. Off the top of my head, I can't remember many or any big matches he's lost from far ahead, although you may be able to think of some examples. Murphy played really well in that final and stayed true to his attack-minded principles, but Selby always had just enough to stay ahead. Loving the podcast, don't ever stop doing it. Regards, Phil. Well, there'll be an end point one day, won't there, Phil? But um, I think it <laughs> hopefully it won't well into the future yet. Um, yeah, I think similar to what we were saying about it at the time, just being below a classic. Really good final, though, actually. Maybe a little bit underrated. Emotional, of course, because it was that full crucible, sort of as we, you know, COVID was lessening a little bit in our lives, but still very much in the middle of the pandemic. But yeah, um, that was the one where Ronnie kept saying that Sean had to kind of, mess the table up a bit and take balls off cushions. I remember saying it to a colleague at work, who knows his snooker a bit, not loads. And we were both saying, well, sort of a bit easier said than done. Do you know what I mean? It's one of the things that's very hard to do when you're playing Mark Selby. But yeah, really good final, actually. And I remember that shot as well. Has Sean got 17-16? Even the great Selby would have been sweating a little bit. So yeah, good one to remember, Phil. And um, you've got the last one. (laughs) Yeah, here's Deco, who says, I'm enjoying the memorable shot feature. Uh, well, it's been dragged out a long time, so I hope you're still enjoying it. Uh, mine is from the <laughs> 2008 UK final, Marco Fu against Sean Murphy. It was the early days of being able to watch on phone, and I had heavily backed Fu. I was travelling back from somewhere on the train with the internet cutting in and out, and the signal came back for that shot. Sean Murphy fluke, missed pink, but it came off the jaws and back into the middle. Yeah, I mean, that's why some shots will stick in your memory, things like that. You remember exactly where you were... Um, well, I'd, I'd like to know if you can get back in touch, Deco, and tell us the reaction you had because the email stops there. But um, I'm sure uh, things things were said at least under your breath on the train when you saw that drop. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, well, there we are. As a, as a former prime minister said at the end of his tenure, that is that the end. Well, it is for this year, Bill. <laughs> we we have it is for 2023. Um, 
Yeah, maybe we think about a new topic. I mean, we've had a little bit of tumbleweed. Or to be fair, we haven't really promoted it. I don't think we've really promoted it much on social media, certainly. Was it crime of the century we were going to do, weren't we? And my one was that Hazel doesn't do enough research. And you you suggested that, that double kisses weren't dreaded. They were just normal double kisses. And so it, that that was a phrase, wasn't it, that came from that? I think it was. Yeah. So if you've got any any snooker crime of the centuries, maybe that might be a nice way to kick us off in 24. But of course, we'll have lots of little topics during the year. Thanks for your correspondence throughout throughout the last 12 months. Much appreciated. You know, your support and, and words of wisdom and views are always, always welcome. Uh, lot, lot, you know, negative, positive. You know, I think it, it should go without saying, you say it anyway, that we're all, you know, I think in the same place of wanting to, see the game thrive. That's maybe how we'll end the year, Bill. That's how, you know, I see all of us, really. We're all, sometimes our ideas aren't the best. Sometimes we're, we're misplaced in what we think, but I think it's generally in good faith, isn't it, really, across the board. We want to see this game thrive. We love it so much. You know, we just want to see the best tournaments, the biggest players, and we do, by and large, on the telly, big crowds, new frontiers for the game, because we want to sell it. We're salespeople in our heart, because... We know how brilliant it is, and we want others to enjoy it as much as we do, eh? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's no there's no point dodging negativity or anything like um, when it when it's obviously there. But, um, but yeah, of course. And I think people just need to not panic about things like this. You know, you said um, a number of times, and you're right. There's often talk about crisis, and I don't know. You can look at a lot of other things that are in crisis, and I don't think snook is one of them. It's doing absolutely fine in many many ways. Doing very well in some ways. Obviously, things we can improve, and there's uh, we want to work on that. But um, yeah, uh, it's good to good to accentuate the the positives, and we're going to kick off this the year as we always do with one of the great positives with the Masters. Um, yeah. So, you know that that is that is always a, sh- a sort of shining light in the season, um, and shows the sport in a, in a, in exactly the situation it is at its best with you know packed crowds in uh in a great venue with the best players so um yeah let's look forward to that maybe for the start of the year get us some uh some of your wilder tips for the year to come what do you think is going to happen in 2024 um and i don't want to hear you know um is going to win the world title or anything like that something that you don't think anyone else is going <laughs> to is going to see coming in 2024. You know, if someone had emailed in at the start of the 2023 that Luca Purcell was going to win the world title, that's the kind of thing we want. Um, so, yeah, any of your... Uh, you can feel anything in your waters that other people may not be expecting for the year to come. Do let us know. Only the great Phil Yates called that, Phil. Uh, uh, that, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh... And, yeah, I mean, just come along to our final any other business of the year then. Um, well, you certainly shot me and Dave, and I'm sure the listeners, with your announcement. So once again, to you and Bella, uh, congratulations. That was um, quite a thing to to announce on the pod. Certainly, uh, yeah, le- left me nearly nearly lost for words. Only for a few seconds, of course. I've got it back. But um, but um, yeah, no, many congratulations on the on the on, on the new arrival to come. Something massive there to look forward to in, in 2024. And look, genuine for me. I know I'm a bit of a sentimentalist at times, but I really have appreciated your company. It's been great. I can't believe how much we talk about snooker. I don't know what we thought when we, when we started. We wanted it to be a fair, fairly lengthy affair. I think into a fourth year it is now. And, you know, sincere thanks. Once again, Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year. And I look forward to seeing you 
and joining up with you again next week to talk about the Masters. Quite quite a good event. Yeah, it's not a bad one, yeah. Uh, no, exactly the same for me. It's always a pleasure and has been a pleasure for um, all this time now. It feels like it, you know a long time ago when we were uh, in lockdown doing those first ones. I remember writing down quite a lot because... Uh, of what I was going to say and sort of reading off a bit of paper because I wasn't sure how to um, go about things. But it's very different now when we're like well over the hour mark and I've not got a single note in front of me and we're just waffling on. Um, hope it's better. Um, we don't know. Let us know. If you think we should go back to just reading a few things out. Um, but no, it's uh, it's been really enjoyable and uh, hopefully will continue to be uh, in 2024. And um, mainly, more than anything, thanks everyone for listening. Um, very much appreciated. Uh, for all your support and all your interaction. Um, we love having you guys on board. Exactly. And, well, I said it was the the end of my gags, half-baked gags on here, but I did do one in recent days, didn't I? Um, I put it up on Facebook, actually, one of the snooker groups on there. I said, here's a review of the snooker year. If you like it, it was written by Nick Metcalf. If you don't like it, it was written by Phil Haig. And, I, I, and that was absolutely terrible. I remember seeing comedians oh, with my dad, Decades and decades, 80s, definitely early 80s in summer season. And they would do that gag. If, if you, you know, if you, if you, if you like me, I was Norman Collie. If you didn't, I was Des O'Connor. Something like that. And I thought, yeah, we are. So once again, I'm, I'm, I'm fully up to date with my material, Phil. But uh, <laughs> that's just about it for the year then. As Phil Whiteley says, thanks for listening. Thanks for your correspondence. Thanks for your support out there. For the final time, I salute you and say, look forward to doing it all again in 2024. We'll try and get it right next time. Yeah, we will. We'll, we'll do our best. Um, yeah, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Merry Christmas, everybody, once again, and a very happy new year. We look forward to your company in 2024. What a way to kick off it will be with the Masters. See you next week when we preview that event. For now, from Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.